Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I do appreciate you spending some time with us here on the show. I would love to invite you to help us join in our community in making a difference. What I mean by that is we started something called the Action Alliance, and we're proud of uh, so many people that have joined us, and there are so many people that have volunteered. We're going to set up the events. We're going to make it very simple to do. You just show up and come to the event, sign up for the events you want to. Text the word ACTION to 411923, and we'll even send you a free T-shirt. So it's ACTION to 411923. Um, the payroll are the lowest in 27 months in March, a line, uh, in line with expectations. Unemployment rate, hourly earnings have dropped. Um, this has been something I've been fearful of. Uh, the the robust job market nationally has been the one thing that's been propping up the economy and helping people keep their financial heads above water. Um, but we knew that there was going to be a, a slowing of the economy intentionally by the raising of interest rates. Slowing the economy was going to drop inflation. But so here's the deal. We all understand it's supply and demand. Well, it's the same thing with employment. So if the supply side of things is it's flying off the shelf, prices go up. When there isn't enough, whether it's because of wheat in the Ukraine war, and so we are seeing that there's less wheat and there's a food shortage, prices go up. There's avian flu, so there's an egg shortage, prices go up. We understand that. A reduction in the uh, uh, drilling or the produ- production of oil, prices go up. Well, it's the same thing. If there are a lot more jobs out there than there are people to fill those jobs, what they are willing to pay you for those jobs goes up. When that reverses, prices come down. So if you, by virtue of raising interest rates, slow down the economy and people are spending less money and items are sitting on the shelf for a longer amount of time – then the prices of those products go down so that people will buy them again. Same thing with employees. When there are more jobs available or less jobs available and more people looking for work, an employer doesn't have to pay you as much. Now, that sounds harsh. That's life. You live in that world, too. I live in that world. And that is I'm not going to pay any more for something than I have to. But that makes sense, right? I mean, when you, if you're sitting at the, if right now, if you're at a traffic light and there's two gas stations on the corners opposed from each other, opposite sides of the street, and one of them is selling gas for $349 and the other one is selling gas for $345, you're going to go to the gas station that's selling fuel for $345. That just makes sense. And so this to me is a huge issue. And this is one of the biggest areas of concern that I've had because we're in a good place in Arizona. It's one of the reasons why I am such a champion for some of the things that we have done. When we have expanded our economy, when we have um, diversified and there are higher paying jobs that are out there, high demand jobs, we will continue to see higher wages. But how do we control inflation? Now, if that's a national thing, I want you to think about the upside to this. We still have very high gas prices, I think fourth highest in the country. Um, we know that Patrick DeHaan was talking about that with us this morning and what's happening in Arizona. Matter of fact, this is what DeHaan had to say about gas prices here in the Valley. The average in Phoenix only up two cents a gallon in the last week, but it's still pretty lofty at about four fifty-eight a gallon. The statewide average is up still about six cents from a week ago. Tucson is uh, up about nine cents. So it looks like the eastern half of the state may continue to inch up. 
So this is um, so when you hear him say that, it's still very high. But I want you to think about something when prices begin to go down, because he talks about this possibly peaking soon and dropping off. Um the same with food, as the food prices, as things begin to subside. If we are still in a very good place here in Arizona when it comes to job growth, wages aren't going to drop as much. Does that make sense? If the commodity is employees and everything else begins to get cheaper, your quality of life goes up. It's one of the reasons why having this diversification of our economy is a good thing. When business owners have to pay a premium for employees, it's good for the employees. And so um, I'm anxious to see how Arizona plays out over the next year or so. Um, when will the Fed – will the Fed look at what this, is, what this is doing here and say, you know what? We're going to hold off on another rate increase. And if that's true, if they hold off on another increase in interest rates, what will that do? Will the stock market take that as an excellent sign and jump in and start really taking off again? Um, the idea that this is not something that is under anybody's control is not true. The idea that it is under the White House's control, also not true. There are things you can do with policy. It's one of the things in elections, when I pay attention, I like a robust um, uh, primary season. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to vote in 99 percent of the cases. I'm going to vote for the Republican nominee. I'm a Republican and I want those policies in power, not because I like this person better than I like that person. I think those policies are more beneficial to where I live and my life. So I vote for those policies. So but in a primary, I'm paying very close attention to what that person is saying is the best way forward when it comes to business sense, when it comes to taxation, when it comes to regulation. I watch very closely because all of that plays a role in our state, in the state of Arizona. I think they've made common sense uh, changes to the regulatory agencies in Arizona. I'll, I'll give you one example of what I think was terrific that happened in the last administration. It sounds very simple. It is very simple. But, man, was it effective. We have regulatory boards. I mean, I, you know, the registrar of contractors, I had to deal with them very often. You have to pass a test to become an electrical contractor. Once you pass that test, you fulfill things with bonding and everything else, and they will give you a license to be an electrical contractor and then you can go out and be a contractor. Licensed contractor, protected by the ROC, overseen by the ROC and it gives you the ability to be a contractor. There's a residential license, there's a commercial license, there's a combination of the two and I had the combination license and I could do any kind of electrical work in the state of Arizona. Um, but what they did was they said if you are someone that has a certificate of proficiency in another state. If you are a massage therapist, if you are so, if you are a cosmetologist, if you're someone that has a certificate that shows that you are qualified and you're licensed in another state and you've been in good standing with that license for a year, then you can bring that license to Arizona, use it, go straight to work doing what you do while you go through the licensing process in Arizona. That doesn't help big business. That helps small business. That helps somebody that is in a relationship and one of the parties gets transferred or is in the military and gets stationed somewhere else. And you then can say, you know what, this is what I do for a living. And now I can just go straight to work. I don't have to go through the process first, sit on my hands. 
plans until I'm no it and it's one of those regulatory changes that is pro business that's done very good things. Uh, the taxation and the way it's changed has diversified our economy. I think all of these things are good things. I pay attention to that in a primary. The days of it just being a popularity contest, the days of it being just about who I like best and who yells and screams the things I want to hear the loudest, that's just not the way I do things. And I wish more people would be looking at the meat of an issue instead of the emotion of an issue. Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. It's something we call Did You Hear This? And we're going to do it coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, time to cap off a very busy news week. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Aaron Gunches' death penalty case is stalled amid ongoing political and legal, legal battles. Governor Hobbs was slated to testify before the Arizona Supreme Court, along with the state's prison director, to explain her decision to stop the execution. But Hobbs' lawyer appeared in her place. I'd like to take a moment, Your Honor, if I may, um, to convey to Ms. Price, Ms. Kay, and their families on behalf of Governor Hobbs and the director um, our sincere condolences for the unspeakable loss that they've suffered and the pain that we know they continue to live with. Gunches' execution order expired yesterday. Superior Court Judge Frank Moskovitz scheduled an oral argument for June 23rd to extend or stay Gunches' order. Is politics getting in the way of justice here? Yeah, I think it is. Um, the issue is it's on the books. The law is on the books. I respect the governor's opinion about the death penalty, but is she using something? There's two questions for me. Is she using um, her office to get in the way of justice and, and kind of enforce her will or inflict her will over the law. That's number one. And number two, and more importantly, does she have the right as governor to do it? I think those are two important questions. I think morally that's exactly what's happening. I didn't like the fact that she had one of her people give that apology. She should have had the respect for these families to say, I know that you are hurting by my decision, but I want you to know why I'm doing it, and I want you to know that I'm truly sorry. Coming through someone else looks a little weak to me. Hundreds of supporters showed up for one of their own, Gilbert Aguirre, to, to protest Copper Point insurance. Aguirre was diagnosed with a rare blood cell cancer eight years ago and has been fighting for workers' compensation from Copper Point, the city's of Goodyear's third-party insurance provider. We don't ask for anything to be given to us. We worked hard and we earned it. Not only do we earn it by going to work every day and exposing us to all these crazy situations, but we also, our families, earned it too. Aguirre's hope is that no firefighter will have to get denied a claim that they rightfully deserve. What do you want to say to Aguirre and the community of firefighters supporting him? I think that this has become an issue that's grown and grown and grown and eventually and not fast enough it is going to be determined that this is a workplace injury like any other workplace injury. This is a danger in the workplace to firefighters unique to what firefighters do. There is something now that's being used called washdown kits which dramatically reduce the carcinogens because as they have grown in knowledge of these situations they've come up with ways to diminish 
diminish the possibility of this happening. But it's hard not to understand that one correlates to the other. And so when that happens, if your job dictates that this is happening to you, then there has to be recourse. And insurance companies should have to insure this. And I think the first responders in our community deserve the ability to know that if something like this happens to them, that they are going to be cared for to the best of the ability and money won't be the issue. You're listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the major issues. Strong winds, a wet winter, and a heavy monsoon season are creating a perfect storm this spring. Valley doctor Leo Odell explains some of the common symptoms you might be dealing with. One of the things about allergies is it tends to produce a lot of itchy eyes, itchy throats, itchy noses, sneezing. And the itchiness is not so much a characteristic of the common cold. Uh, sneezing is not a characteristic of COVID either. How have your allergies been this season? You know, as bad as yours. I, I, was, I was checking the boxes as he talked about the symptoms. I have them all. My eyes itch, my nose, it, it, I, it's hard to describe to people, and I know it sounds gross. My nose itches. I mean, like, the outer edges of my nose itch. My The roof of my mouth itches. And I'm allergic to allergy medicine, so you have to hear me complain because I have to suffer. But I have all of those. I sneeze like crazy. Julia sounds like she's doing Did You Hear This by holding her nose. It's just the way it is right now, and I can't wait for allergy se- season to subside a little bit. You and me both. You and me both. Last night, the Arizona Diamondbacks honored Phoenix police officer Tyler Moldovan with the home opener's first pitch. D-backs fans, please help us welcome and show our support for Officer Tyler Moldovan. Could you ask for a better first pitch than this? No, no, I can't. I will tell you, honestly, for Phoenicians, for people in Arizona, it rivals the first pitch after 9-11 that George W. Bush threw out. With all due respect to that unified the country in baseball, that was symbolic for the world. It's not topping that. But for people in the Valley, Tyler Maldivan is everything that's good about us. He is a good man with a good wife and a good family that relied on prayer when this happened. They trusted in God, whether you trusted God or not. These are faithful, humble people, and the community had an opportunity last night to stand on their feet and cheer for this young man's courage and his dedication. It was a moment for the ages, and I think for Phoenicians, it's an unforgettable moment, and if that doesn't go on the history reel of the Diamondbacks, along with Luis Gonzalez's hit that won that World Series, I think the Diamondbacks are crazy, because it was awesome. All right. Uh, thanks. Ed. Great job this, this week, Julia, as always. Um, um, your voice uh, um, taken into consider. I felt bad for you yesterday, um, and I wasn't making fun, although, you know, I will make fun. But it does sound like you're holding your nose when you talk. And for the people that don't know this, we sit in the office and commiserate because when I'm not sneezing, she is. And it's the other way around, and, and it's horrible. But hopefully we're over it soon. Right? Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, do I really sound that bad? It's not. You don't sound bad. It's just noticeable. Does that make sense? Totally. So it, it, you sound nasally. Yeah. So, but it's not bad. It doesn't sound bad, but there's, I can tell the difference. That's all. And I'm nice enough to point it out to the entire world. Oh, I really appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so coming up in a moment, what we are going to do is the IRS is planning on increasing audits 10 times. Is that the right thing to do? Their huge budget increase. Is it good for America? We'll talk about it next. Strong values 
and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Just a few minutes left for us, about 30 minutes left for us. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, the IRS is going to spend about is getting an increase in its budget of about 80 billion dollars. And uh, they are over the next 10 years going to be increasing the size of the agency. They are going to be doing 10 times the amount of audits that they are doing now. They are going after people that are under uh, cracking down on tax evasion and people that are under reporting their income. Uh, closing the tax gap is one of the things in the stories. The IRS is unable to collect about $600 billion in taxes that are owed in every year, and the amount known as the tax gap was roughly equal to 2.8% of the U.S. gross domestic product. The last time it was definitively measured um, in 2014 to 2016, the largest chunk of the tax gap was the individual business income, representing $130 billion or 30% of the total amount uncollected. Um, I think that what happened, what we will do in this country, and I don't believe it will ever be um, it will never be fair. The system will never be truly fair. Um, I think what would be best for the country is probably different than what a lot of you think would be best for the country. But hear me out. Um, if we had a flat tax rate like we do a sales tax rate, isn't it interesting that everybody rich and poor pays sales taxes when they purchase something? Now, if you purchase a higher ticket item, you're going to pay more in taxes because that item is more expensive. We all understand that. But it is the same percentage. And when those tax items come up for renewal, by virtue of the vote or if there is an issue out there, if the city you live in wants to increase taxes for a specific goal, the people have a, a chance to vote on that. Rich and poor people generally vote no. No. There is a thing with income taxes where this class warfare conversation continues. You're wealthy, so we should tax you at 37% or 38% of your income because you don't need all that money. Whereas poor people or working class people, in actuality, don't pay anything in income taxes. They get everything they put in back or even more, with the exception of Social Security or FICA or whatever. But you're not paying income taxes. You're getting everything back or even more. It would be different. This country would be dramatically different if everybody paid 10%. 10% across the board. That would mean my taxes would go down. Many, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not super wealthy. I'm not wealthy like that. It's, a, but I, I'm in a higher tax bracket than I've ever been before. Uh, my taxes would go down because my tax rate, taxable income, my tax rate is higher than ten percent. For many people, your taxes would go up. If you make fifty thousand dollars a year, you would pay five thousand dollars a year. Let's go with sixty for round numbers, right? Um, if you make $60,000 a year, you would pay $500 per month in income taxes. It's that simple. The problem is it's never going to happen. But the people then in lower income levels, and I wouldn't say 60000 is low income, but it's lower than some other people are paying. If you had to pay 500 bucks in income taxes, two things would happen. Number one, you wouldn't want to see a tax increase. And number two, you would pay a lot more attention to how they spend your money. Because that's part of the issue with taxation. It isn't just that people don't want to pay more. They don't like the way it's wasted. 
redundancy and waste are huge issues for people. And if you were paying that, <clears throat> that kind of money in taxes, imagine, I want you to think about whoever you are. <clears throat> if your wage is $60,000 a year, if you had withdrawn from your account going to the federal government with every other tax you have, state income taxes, everything else, but you had a $500 deducted monthly, break that down by four, whatever it is, or twice a month, a $250 out of every pay period was going to the federal government in income taxes. You aren't going to get that money back. You're not getting a return at the end of the year. At the end of the year, you're going to write on the dotted line, my taxable income is $60,000 a year, and I've paid you $6,000. At 10%. That's it. If you are giving the federal government $6,000 of your money every year, you'd pay pretty close attention to how they're spending it. All of these stories about the billion dollars in wasteful spending and money that they can't find and account for and the, you know, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense with billions of dollars in equipment they can't account for. And I mean billions with a B. Um, it would be a different story. But now you've got the IRS saying, we are taking in, this is something else that gets me. The Internal Revenue Service, admittedly, they have to, they file reports every quarter, every month, every quarter. The IRS, the United States Treasury, takes in a record amount of, of revenue every single month and every quarter. They set new records. They are not hurting for money at the Internal Revenue Service. So I want, I would love to know, and there's got to be people out there that like this. I don't know who, but there are people out there that like this. And they think the idea that even though the Internal Revenue Service is collecting it and the Treasury is getting this money, that you are um, should pay more, that they're going to go and get more from the American public. How does that benefit our economy? And I'm asking a serious question. If it isn't, and I'm not, I, I guess I am accusing. In my mind, it's class warfare. You think rich people make too much money and they don't pay poor people enough. So you don't care if you ever see a dime of that money yourself or if it benefits you personally. You just want to see it taken from a wealthy person. And if that's the way you feel, how does this benefit the American economy? If they're already getting record revenue in the United States Treasury and we know they waste it, we know there's redundancy and waste, we know that happens, what value is there in taking more money out of the American economy from anyone? I'm talking about from anyone. And it's hard for, to get people to feel sorry for a billionaire or a multimillionaire. I get it. But I've also, I'm a realist. I grew up dirt poor. I worked and worked and worked for a, not a lot of whole lot of, not a whole lot of money, but I worked for wealthy people. My employers were wealthy in my eyes. You know, in my world, they were wealthy, but so were the customers that we worked for. And I always enjoyed working for customers. When I worked, and you've heard of these places now because of Hurricane Ian, Sanibel and Captiva Islands off the coast of Fort Myers in southwest Florida. A little bit to the south of that off the coast of Naples is Marco Island, another resort island. Very, very um, uh, wealthy people that own homes, many of them second homes. And uh, But the nice thing about working for those people is they could pay their bills. You didn't have to chase people for money. They could write the check, and they did. I preferred working for those people. And when you take more money from them in the form of taxation, when they have less discretionary income than they did before, and it's not being used in the U.S. economy, what good is it to any of us? I wanted to learn from rich people. I want to know if you did it. 
how can I do it? And the entrepreneurs that take their wealth when they get older and they say, you know what I'm going to do with my wealth? I'm going to take my knowledge and the mistakes I've made and I'm going to take my wealth and I'm going to invest it in younger entrepreneurial minded people. I'm going to try to navigate them through the mistakes I made so they don't make the same mistakes and I'm going to help them grow wealth. I'm going to make money in the process because I'm an investor. But I'm going to invest that money in these people. Why would a wealthy person do that if they realized, A, your chances of success in a new business is not very high. So you're risking money in an investment. And if you lose money in that investment, you're on your own. But if you make money in the investment, the government says, well, you know, you make so much money. We're taking a huge chunk of that. Why would you get involved in that system? And I mean you, if it were you. You wouldn't. What you would do is you would say, I'm going to find the safest place to put this money. I'm going to live off the interest. I'm never going to touch the principal, and I'm going to go about my life. I'm going to drive a nice car. I'm going to live in a nice house. I'm going to eat at nice restaurants, and I'm going to live my life until the atmosphere becomes friendlier to me so that when I make an investment to do some good in my community, I'm going to be able to keep the benefits of the profits that I make. So I don't know how this benefits us. I really don't, Um, but it's happening. It is happening. Coming up, before we close it out, we've got uh, some local things still to talk about. A great event that happened last night, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Diamondbacks and what they did with Tyler Maldivon. That's coming up here in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We've got a few minutes left in the show, and I wanted to um, end things on the show in a very positive note. Uh, I am very thankful uh, for <clears throat> the life I get to lead, and uh, I'm thankful for the people that I get to interact with. And we don't often get to talk about really good news or very good things. And yesterday, what started out, a story that started off with tears of deep sadness, yesterday turned to tears of joy and admiration. Tyler Maldivan, a young police officer in the city of Phoenix, was gunned down in the line of duty in one of the most horrific descriptions I've ever heard about the shooting of any human being, never mind a police officer. And last night, he threw out the first pitch of the Diamondbacks game. And I want you to hear, it's only about 30 seconds long of this, but I want you to hear the crowd. And you'll be able to tell when he throws the pitch because the crowd responds. Officer Baldivant returns to Chase Field after nearly a year and a half of intensive rehabilitation, accompanied by his wife, Chelsea, and D-backs legend, Luis Gonzalez. He is here to throw out tonight's ceremonial first pitch. D-backs fans, please help us welcome and show our support for Officer Tyler Moldovan. A round of applause for a true hero, Officer Tyler Moldovan. That was an amazing moment that I hope lives in uh, Diamondbacks history for a very long time. The reason why I want to finish the show with that is because um, we spend a lot of time, I do, because I make the choices, spend a lot of time talking about the complaints we have because I think they're valid. We have valid concerns and fears about the direction our country is going sometimes, and it happens on both sides of the political aisle, but I'm fearful. I don't like the direction we're going. I don't like the animosity. I don't like the 
the anger. I don't like the um, vitriol from either side. But I think we're headed towards some really bad things at times. But in the end, um, I think that we are the greatest country the world has ever seen. Um, I am thankful for my faith. I'm thankful for um, uh, for all of those things. This weekend is the most sacred weekend in Christianity. It is uh, Good Friday, um, and then Sunday is known as Resurrection Sunday on Easter. And it is a day that is so bittersweet for the Christian faith, and I'm not asking anybody to believe like I believe, but it is a day today that is so bittersweet for um, Christians because of the sacrifice that was made. And if you don't believe it, I, I respect that. But for those of us that do, contemplating that Christmas is probably the celebration that is best celebrated or most celebrated around the world by everyone, but it's Easter that is the fulfillment of our faith. And so if you're a faith-based person on any level, maybe contemplate that this weekend as you celebrate Easter the way you do, that um, you hear stories of overcoming. And we say what happened with Tyler Maldivar was truly a miracle. But if we believe, if we're believers in, in, in our faith, if we believe that there is a creator, then we look at situations and say every outcome is a miracle in some way. This one happens to be the one we all were praying for, that this was the answer. This was an affirmative answer to our prayers and that this young man is on the road to some kind of recovery much more than anybody anticipated. But it's so much bigger than that. If I, Maybe I have an ability to, at least in my mind, I have an ability to be more reasonable about things that are happening because in the end, I don't think that there's ever been anything that's happened that surprised God. So I rest in my faith. When my brother was killed, my family rested in our faith. And no one will ever – everybody talks about faith until they need it. When you lose a sibling that you were very, very close to and you watch your mother bury a child, it it can change you. It can change your view of, of the world and of faith. There were days that I walked through that that I had to lean, literally lean on my faith and actually say to myself, sometimes out loud, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And somehow I was able to get through it. And I know it was my faith that carried me through. Um, so I, I think I would be remiss if I ended the show today on Good Friday if I didn't recognize that that's a big part of my life. And I fail. I mean, I'm a failure many times. I am not a good representative of my faith. There's many times I'm not. But that is the greatness of this is that it isn't about how I behave. It, it certainly isn't a reflection. It's, it isn't at all. At least I hope it isn't to people. Um, so I hope you're going to have a great Easter. For me, um, Easter has a, a different meaning in my life the older I get. The contemplation of what's happening today in the history of Christianity, what happens today on Good Friday, and then the miracle that changed the world on Sunday. So uh, I hope you've got a great Easter planned, even if you're someone that's not of, of deep faith. I hope it's a good weekend for you. I hope that you are uh, respectful of the people that take it as a very serious holiday in their faith. And uh, hopefully Monday, I, we can all come back Monday realizing that there, we all can be a little bit better. Th that to me is always what I take, the message I take from it, is we could be a little bit better. If you're a social media user, I am at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter. That's my personal account. At Broomhead Show is the show account. Please follow both. And if you're an Instagram user, Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram, uh, is how you can interact with me. And uh, hopefully you got a great weekend plan. We'll be back Monday morning just after 8 a.m. And hopefully you can join us for part of your day. Have a great weekend. Have a great Easter. God bless.
Thank you.